I'm Bridget Stomberg. And I'm Lisa Simone, And this is Taxes for the Masses. Today's episode is on the U.S. taxation of income from gambling. The U.S. gambling industry is large and growing rapidly. By some estimates, the market size of the casino and online gambling industry reached over $200 billion worldwide in 2021. In today's episode, we'll outline the tax treatment of gambling income and losses to individuals in the U.S., as well as the taxation of online sports books. Hello, Lisa. Hello, B. In our last episode before the Super Bowl, we talked about the taxation of professional athletes. Mm-hmm. Today, which is our first episode after the Super Bowl, we're going to talk about taxation of people who bet on those professional athletes, as well as the taxation of the organizations that facilitate that gambling. That seems pretty fitting. I think so. Um, but before we do that, I probably have to ask some obligatory questions. Okay, bring it. Did you watch the Super Bowl? I did. I watched, I actually watched the entire thing. I will say I was, um, you know, surfing the internet during the game portion of the game and very attentive during the commercials and halftime. Okay, excellent. Second favorite commercial. Um, I thought the premature electrification Dodge Ram commercial was uh, very clever. Oh, that's spicy. It's, it's very spicy, yes. So what was your favorite commercial? Oh, I didn't watch the Super Bowl. You didn't watch? No. I was in my bedroom watching uh, Amy Schumer's documentary and then her comedy special. Okay. At one point, I could hear Derek in the other room cheering, so I had to turn on one white noise machine. And then I started to hear him sigh and get frustrated, so I had to turn on a second white noise machine because I it's too... It's, I'm too nervous. He likes the Eagles too much yeah. and I needed to just remove myself from the situation. I see. Yeah, you um, you should be very happy that you missed the, the last few minutes of the game. Undoubtedly. I thought it was a terrible call. And then also it is incredibly anticlimactic to just watch a team run out the clock using the play clock. That is the exact adjective that Derek used to describe the last two minutes of that game to my child. So yes. Yeah. All right, uh, enough chit chat. So let's get down to brass tacks. That's good. Um, But since you just said brass tacks, I have to say something first. Okay. For most of my life, I thought the phrase was brass tacks, T-A-X. I love that. You are such a tax nerd. True tax nerd at heart. Yes. All right, so um, let let me try to avoid that whole situation and, and start again. Let's focus on the topic at hand. Did you bet on the Super Bowl? I did not for fear that my husband would divorce me. Your husband who used to gamble at a near professional level. That is him. That's the one. Um, okay. And yes, for full disclosure, when he was gambling at an almost professional level, we did properly report and pay taxes on all of his gambling winnings. Okay, good. And it is good because that's the topic or at least one of the topics that we're going to talk about today. Yes. Okay. So we're going to try to do two things today. First, we're going to talk about how individuals are taxed on their gambling winnings. And second, we're going to highlight an interesting tax issue currently facing online gambling sites and the states that have legalized online gambling. So let's start it off with a discussion of how individuals are taxed on their gambling winnings. Okay. Fortunately, it's not really all that complicated, at least in theory. 
Nope. But people are sometimes surprised to learn that want-want your gambling winnings are, in fact, taxable income. You know, I could see how somebody could be disappointed Mm -hmm. that that is true, but um, surprised is harder for me to come to terms with because we've said many times before, the general rule in taxes, it comes from code section 61, and the general rule is that all income from whatever source derived is considered gross income unless there's a specific exception. And Congress so far has not been compelled to make an exception for gambling winnings. And now I know what my platform will be when I run for Congress. Oh God, please don't even joke about that. It's not funny, is it? It is not. It is not. It's not. All right. So you're 100% right that there is no code section that exempts gambling winnings from your gross income. That means that whenever you win money from gambling, be that from a slot machine, a poker tournament, your office fantasy football league, or a Super Bowl wager, okay, no matter how dumb it was, you have taxable income. Okay. And what would be an example of a dumb Super Bowl wager? So this year, if you bet that there would be a safety in the game, the money line was plus 6,600. So those are not great odds. Okay. All right. No, they're not. Um, Yes. Winnings on even dumb wagers are taxable, as are non-cash proceeds. So Mm -hmm. if you win a car or a trip for two to next year's Super Bowl or, you know, whatever, whatever crazy prize a casino or online gambling site can cook up, um, you've got to report the fair market value of that non-cash prize to the IRS. All right. I've got a question for you. Okay. Do you remember what a parlay is? Uh, isn't a, isn't it like some kind of bet that's like a compound bet of some kind? Yes. Excellent. Okay. Excellent. So I was telling this story the other day to Rosh because you and I had gone to see Silver Linings Playbook yes. at the Alamo Draft House. Yes. And beforehand you had given me your copy of Anna Karenina, which is like your favorite book of all time. Um, Not even remotely, but I perhaps read it back then. Yes. All right. Excellent. You gave me your copy of Anna Karenina (laughs) to try to educate me. And then during the movie, you leaned over and asked me what a parlay bet was. And that was my attempt to educate you. So you're giving me, you know, high class literature to try to improve my knowledge. And I'm explaining parlay bets to you. Obviously not well, because I don't actually remember what it is, but yeah. That was a pretty great definition. Okay. Compound bet for the win. All right. But seriously, my serious question is, okay, fine, sure, great. I have to report my gambling winnings. Yeah. But not saying I would do this. Okay. But how would the IRS ever know how Mm. much money me or any other individual actually won gambling? Okay. Classic question in the world of tax and also a good question. They could know in one of two ways. Okay. And this is the first place something that is simple in theory gets really complicated. Oh, I like it. All right. So payors like casinos, they report individuals gambling winnings to the IRS on a special form, form W2G. And according to the instructions for that form, the reporting requirements depend on the type of gambling, the amount of gambling winnings, and generally the ratio of the winnings to the wager. Why the heck does the type of gambling matter? The only thing I can think of is effective lobbying by some special interest groups. Sounds good to me. Let's take some examples. A payer must report your winnings to you and to the IRS on form W2G if you win more than $1,200 from a bingo game or slot machine, but it's only more than $1,500 from a Keno game and more than 5,000 from a poker tournament. Sure. You with me so far? Sure. 
Okay, for other types of gambling, the winnings are reduced by the wager and must be reported if they exceed $600 and they're at least 300 times the amount of the wager. Yeah, that all sounds super straightforward, logical. Totally. Like it. Um, So can I try an example? (laughs) You can try. Thank you. All right, so the Eagles money line for the Super Bowl was minus 125. So let's say I bet $2,000. That is considered my wager. Okay. Now, had the Eagles won, the casino would have paid me $3,600. That corresponds to that money line. Got it. That means the proceeds of my wager are only $1,600. The $3,600 the casino is giving me, they're basically giving me back my $2,000 wager plus $1,600 of my winnings. Got it. Now, that is more than the $600 that you just referenced, but it's not more than 300 times my wager, so no reporting is required. Yes, that's correct. No reporting is required of the payer, but you still have to report the $1,600 of proceeds Mm. to the IRS. Mm -hmm. That is the second way the IRS would ever know how much money you won gambling because you would tell them because not telling them... Tax evasion. Very good. But... Okay. If I had won $3,600 after putting two grand into a slot machine, reporting would be required because my winnings exceed that $1,200 threshold and we don't take the amount of my wager into consideration. You got it. Okay. Now I have a question for you. Bring it. What if you'd also bet $100 that there would be a safety in the game? Would your taxable gambling winnings, that is the the $3,600 less your $2,000 wager, would that fall to only $1,500? No, not for me personally. That's because while I have to report all of my gambling winnings, I have to report that entire $1,600 in this example, I have to consider my gambling losses separately, that $100 wager that I lost on the safety bet. Mm. And I get to deduct those losses only if I itemize my deductions. Mm. And like about 87% of taxpayers right now, I don't itemize my deductions. Nor do I. So I don't get any tax benefit from my dumb sports bets. Unless you lost more than the standard deduction, and in that case, you could itemize. Now, there's some bad tax planning. (laughs) Then you could deduct the $100 losing bet along with any expenses you incurred to gamble, like, for example, traveling to Las Vegas. Nice. But those deductions can't exceed your winnings, and that would be true even if you were a professional gambler. After the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, professional gamblers can deduct their losses on Schedule C, which means they don't have to itemize. But again, they can only do that to the extent of their winnings. And on top of all of those rules, taxpayers have to keep documentation to support both the amount of their gambling winnings and gambling losses. So IRS guidance suggests that taxpayers keep a diary of their gambling winnings and losses that includes the date of the gambling activity the time of the gambling activity, the location of the gambling (laughs) activity, and the other people who were present with you during the gambling activity. Mm -hmm. The IRS also suggests that taxpayers maintain other documentation like ticket stubs and receipts. I love that this uh, recommendation assumes that, um, you know, your average citizen after a night of what I'm sure was very sober mm-hmm. casino gambling. Yes. Uh, these people have the presence of mind to, you know, make sure they write a diary and keep stubs of things for their tax records. Absolutely. We're 
going to shift gears now and talk about taxation of online gambling sites like FanDuel and DraftKings, neither of which I had heard of before researching this episode. Fun fact. Clearly don't watch enough football on TV. All right. So sites like these became a lot more popular after a 2018 Supreme Court ruling struck down a federal ban on sports betting. That decision paved the way for states to legalize sports betting and legalize they did. Since the decision, about 30 states have legalized sports bettings and 21 states now allow online betting. And it's easy to see why. By some estimates, over $80 billion was wagered in online sports betting during the first 11 months of 2022 alone. Yowza. Yowza indeed. States saw an opportunity to raise significant revenue by taxing not only individuals' winnings, but also by taxing the online gambling sites themselves. So, for example, Colorado implemented a 10% tax on casino and sports betting operators, and that's in addition to an income tax. This ballot initiative projected about $16 million in annual tax revenue during the first five years of the tax, and it earmarked most of that revenue for projects to address the state's water needs, which, um, shall we just say, are dire. I think that's an excellent adjective. But, but, okay. in the first full years that sports gambling was legal in Colorado, the state collected... Okay, are you going to guess more or less than $16 million of tax revenue? Based on the experience with marijuana, I'm going to say more. Uh, you would be incorrect. Less. It's not going to be the last time. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Let's have some confidence here. State collected just shy of $7 million in tax revenue, significantly less than expected. Whoops. So that raises the question of uh, what went wrong. What went wrong is that the original Colorado law allowed online gambling companies to deduct any wagers that are tied to free play or promotional betting. So according to Bloomberg Tax, sports betting companies in Colorado have deducted 62% of their wager revenue from their tax base. And a lower tax base means lower tax collections. It does. And What's worse is that this provision allowing a deduction for free play or promotional bets was added to the law after Colorado residents voted to legalize gambling. That means that the lovely example Colorado included in the ballot initiative to illustrate how the tax revenue would be generated, well, it was, uh, I'm not going to call it a lie, but we can call it wrong. It was very wrong. So let's talk about that example. It shows a lovely $100 bill with Ben Franklin's disapproving face, mm -hmm. surely looking straight into the eyes of the person engaging in gambling. Yep. And that $100 bill uh, represents $100 in wagers placed with the betting operator, what the sports industry calls the handle. The example assumes that the betting operator pays out $95 to bettors, leaving it with $5, which is called the hold. I'm loving this lingo, by the way. Absolutely. Should I start singing The Gambler? You should always start singing The Gambler. Can you start singing The Gambler? Do you know the words? Uh, no, well, yeah. no, okay. no. The federal government taxes the handle, the $100 of wagers at 0.25%. So the betting operator owes 25 cents to the federal government. Colorado allows a deduction for the federal excise tax. So the casino's net sports betting proceeds subject to the 10% tax would be only 475. And the state revenue would be 47 and a half cents. Got all that? Got it. Clear as mud. But it was wrong. Okay. Because Colorado decided after the fact to offer a tax benefit to online gambling sites to allow them to attract residents to place bets in Colorado 
where gambling was newly legal. So essentially it's almost like they were allowing them to deduct an advertising expense. Yeah. Where in this case, advertising is giving people free play or promotional bets. Right. So that tax benefit allowed betting operators to reduce their net sports betting proceeds by an unlimited amount of promotional wagers. One source estimated that Colorado sports books made $408 million in the first two years gambling was legal in the state. Assuming that all of that would have been subject to the 10% tax absent the deduction for promotional bets, Colorado should have collected about $41 million in tax revenue over those two years. But they collected just $17 million, meaning as much as $23 million of tax revenue has been lost as a result of these promotional bet write-offs. That's a lot. It is. Colorado learned its lesson, thankfully, and passed a bill, effective January 1 of 2023, that puts a cap on the deductions that sportsbooks can claim. So they put a limit of 2.5% of their monthly handle. As a result, the Colorado governor's office estimates $24 million in revenue from the tax for 2022-2023 fiscal year. The limit on deductions for promotional wagers is set to decrease annually until it drops to 1.75% from July 1, 26 onward. So we're steadily reducing the amount of that deduction over time. And you could see that it makes sense because by now everybody knows that online betting is legal in Colorado. And so you likely don't need to offer such a big tax incentive for these promotional bets. Right. Colorado is not the only state to allow these types of write-offs. Uh, Virginia does as well, and they too tried recently to end these unlimited deductions for promotional bets, but that legislation stalled. And so while we're talking about these promotional bets and free play, you got to wonder, are those amounts taxable to the individuals who receive them and then get to use them to maybe win some money? Yeah, I got to wonder, you got to wonder. Turns out a lot of people are wondering. Hmm. Uh, It's a great question, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of clear answer or guidance from the IRS. Hmm. Uh, looks like they have better things to do than uh, issue guidance on whether free play or promotional bets are taxable income. That is fair with the, all two of them that they have dedicated to issuing guidance these days. Totally fair. Uh, so one expert, Marissa Shan, who's the co-author of a book called Tax Help for Gamblers, suggests the actual proceeds you receive after using your promotional bet should be reported as a win. So if you get $100 in free play and you manage to turn that into 1000 you should report the $1,000. When in doubt, report it. Always. All right, time once again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the good, from what I hear on the internet at least, was Rihanna's performance, as well as the performance of her American Sign Language interpreter. I thought the, so there was an ASL interpreter at the beginning of the game, maybe for the national anthem, and it was the Oscar-winning actor from Coda, Coda, which I recently watched and is an excellent film. I'll say another good. So this is yet one more topic that highlights how taxes can affect a wide range of activities. Um, safe to say taxes have a pretty far reach beyond your wages and investment income. They do. They manage to find their way in to affect, some might say ruin, (laughs) even something as joyful as collecting a big payday from a successful sports bet. Anything bad to say here? Sure. Um, I think it's bad that after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, many taxpayers are likely not getting any deduction for their gambling losses because they aren't itemizing. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's even though Code Section 165D does allow deductions for, quote, losses from wagering transactions. But the fact that the standard deduction is so high right now essentially eliminates any tax benefit from those gambling losses. And my hunch is that taxpayers are probably pretty grumpy about this yeah. and are reporting netted winnings as gross income as a workaround. It's an illegal workaround, but it's a workaround. Uh, and I agree that I bet that's what a lot of people are doing, even though it right. is illegal. Right. So you, in researching this episode, you and I saw some traffic on the internet from law firms conjecturing that IRS audits of casual gamblers have actually increased in recent years, specifically mm -hmm. after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. One law firm described two individual clients they're representing who were audited in 2018, the first year after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, who received adjustments from the IRS related to their gambling winnings and an extra present of a 20% accuracy related penalty to boot. Yuck. The blog conjectured, actually, I guess the law, the lawyers conjectured, because I don't think a blog can actually conjecture. Um, they can now. ChatGPT can conjecture anything. Excellent. Great. <laughs> so the computer conjectured that IRS computers are now matching reported income from sports books, those mm -hmm. form W2Gs that we talked about at the beginning of the episode, to what the individuals report on their 1040s as gambling winnings. And whenever they see a mismatch, they're able to quickly issue a notice. Interesting. And also potentially a little bit unfair because yeah. the IRS has issued guidance that individuals determine wins and losses on a gambling session basis. What does that mean? Well, let's say you hit big on a slot machine and win $25,000. The lights are going to buzz and the casino employee will come over to award you your payout and likely also issue you a W2G for that massive win. But if you keep playing slots for another several hours and give back 5,000 of those winnings, your gambling session winnings are only 20,000. But they're not going to give you a new W2G. Your W2G is going to say 25,000. So there's going to be a mismatch even if you did nothing wrong. So that's bad. I think we can move into the ugly. And I think there's a few potential ugly things here. Okay. Uh, first would be that terrible holding call at the end of the game. It was terrible. It really was. I couldn't see it. Second... We know that gambling can be addictive. Indeed. Some have even referred to it as a drug-like activity. Mm -hmm. And the once director of the New Jersey Gaming Enforcement referred to Atlantic City's main product as adrenaline. Not entertainment, not recreation, not leisure, but adrenaline. Wow. So although, yes, legalizing gambling can generate significant tax revenue if designed properly, and that tax revenue can be used to fund government expenditures like desperately needed water initiatives. Mm -hmm. It is also providing easier access to a potentially addictive activity. And you gotta ask yourself, how much thought did state legislatures give to that when deciding to legalize online gambling? You do have to ask yourself that. Going back to the Colorado proposal, that's the one that estimated an average annual tax revenue of 16 million from legalized gambling. Only about 130,000 of that amount, so far less than 1%, was earmarked for gambling addiction services. Yeah. So a second ugly thing I can think of is that research shows lower income individuals are more likely to gamble and more likely to develop a gambling addiction. So these negative consequences of gambling that we're talking about disproportionately fall on lower income individuals. And finally, whereas in-person gambling can absolutely stimulate the economy through the creation of jobs... Online gambling is less likely to have that same positive impact. All right. So I have a confession to make. I'm listening as our, 
our 24 listeners. <laughs> so Matt and I regularly bet each other a cheeseburger when we disagree on something that we know can be factually verified. Addict. No, that, I mean, that's, that's not my confession. Oh. <laughs> the confession is... The confession is that, you know, we've been together a long time now, like over a decade. Wait, you and me or you and Matt? Me and Matt. You and I have okay. been together longer. So that's a lot of cheeseburger wagers. Yes. And I have won the vast majority of those because I'm always right. Of course. And I have never once reported my gambling winnings to the IRS. So lots of cheeseburgers over 10. I mean, we're talking tens and tens of dollars. I will be reporting that for you and collecting my whistleblower. <laughs> your, your many cents of whistleblower reward. I'll take it. Well, that's all we have time for today. Be sure to join us for more tax nerdery on future episodes of Taxes for the Masses. 